Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. All right, gumbo listeners, welcome back to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. Of course, you know me, I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I have a fantastic guest lined up for us today, uh, Gabe Gamble. He is the VP of Product and Tech Operations at Quorum, and uh, he is an IT product leader with over 20 years of experience in compliance security and disaster recovery. So Gabe, welcome to the gumbo. Thanks, Demetrius. Glad to be here. All right. So start us off with a short snippet on Quorum, uh, who you guys are, and also what you do and what you're up to. Sure. Uh, So we are a disaster recovery as a service product. Uh, We do appliance-based local backups replicated to the cloud um, or direct to cloud if, if the you know, situation is right for the customer. So we've been doing that for the last decade, born out of a product that was really kind of funded for military operations and then converted into a commercial product to provide disaster recovery. So kind of security from the ground up. All right. So uh, a very important set of capabilities there. We all know that there are a, a lot of bad things out there, right? So as, as data continues to increase, there are also more threats. Uh, we always we are continuing to see different types of breaches, high profile, low profile, everything in between. No one's immune to to a cyber breach. And so maybe start us off. Give us some excitement, maybe a breach story or something that data protection gumball audience may not already know about or. OK, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best there. Wow. The, something you don't know about. I mean. Most of the ones I'm privy to either happen to like our customers. We had a customer who had uh, who had ransomware about a week ago, a little over a week ago now. They had set up their their environment to be single sign-on, um, and everything was single sign-on except for the quorum device because we don't support single sign-on for the specific reason that if that's what's compromised, we don't want to be. And so in their environment, we were the only thing that wasn't what wasn't encrypted by ransomware or wasn't held hostage. So we were able to help them recover everything and, you know, in the time it takes to boot, obviously the, the delay was them making the decision on when they wanted to recover, finding out how they got in the environment. And then when they're ready to recover, we just recover. Um, so it, it's really easy for that part. Now, how did they get into the environment and not the quorum device? And so explain, I guess, uh, what type of device you have and some of the features. Yeah. As always happens, social engineering, someone clicked on a link. They got some malware installed on their machine. From there, they were able to get elevated access in the environment. They got the admin password, and then they owned the network. They took down the single sign-on, the Active Directory first, and then they encrypted all of the servers for Exchange, their SQL server, their accounting server, um, and their they had an in-house SRM. So they took over all of that and then sent out the, you know, we own you, pay us. They called us ready to recover. And I'm like, wait, wait, we don't want to recover quite yet. Now is not the time. What we need to do first is call your insurance. You want to get that stuff ready. 
Um, you want to get uh, third-party security in there to find out how they got in, how you're going to get them out. Make sure that the holes are plugged because they often will have, you know, back doors that they'll leave somewhere so they can get in later if you don't get it all out. So we, we went through all of those steps first, and then we went to the recovery step. So in a lot of times in, in the disaster recovery world, we talk about, hey, recovery is easy. You just boot up the server. But it's the time between when the disaster happens, depending on what it is, and the time where you're ready to recover that that is the most painful. And so making sure that we talk to the customers and say, we're ready when you are, but let's make sure you're ready because we don't want you to get, you know, do this again tomorrow or next week. We want to make sure it's done for once and for good. So that's kind of the process we ended up going through with them. So is, is your solution, is it uh, hardware, physical, or is it software in the cloud? Uh, both, actually. It's, it's an appliance on site, so we can provide local recovery. But if you had a disaster like that the site was compromised and you had to go to the cloud, everything is also replicated to our cloud solution. So we're running software on both of those to manage all of that. So we can actually bring up your whole environment from our cloud. And I guess you're doing things like uh, immutable storage and you have some type of... Um, yep, immutable uh, storage. Fips. Everything yeah. has a virtual air gap. Um, everything's encrypted at rest and in transit. Uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty hardened solution. Everything has multi-factor authentication so that, you know, obviously there's... Like we heard a story of a guy who who... The admin used his admin password to protect his on queue. And we're like, hey, if it's the same password and they get your admin password, they're going to get to your, your backups. And you don't want that. So make that password different. And uh, I guess, what is that one thing? So you've seen a few different types of recovery scenarios, uh, customers with ransomware, and you, you've seen some of the... <laughs> the stress and strain around someone trying to figure it all out. What is maybe the the one thing that, based on your experience and what you've seen, that someone can do in order to kind of minimize that that pain around before that before that breach happens? Well, a lot of times we see customers and we talk to customers and the the director or the IT administrator, whoever's running IT is charged by the company and says, hey, you're responsible for our disaster recovery plan and making sure it's updated. And it could be a CIO or a, a CISO or whatever. And so they'll do their tests and they'll do their planning and they'll have their ideas. But what they're not including is the rest of the company. They're just telling the company, yeah, it's taken care of. But when you have ransomware, for example, you're actually the last person that gets to make that decision. It's got to be the CEO or the CIO or COO, somebody saying, okay, you know, maybe they want to pay the ransom. Maybe they don't. Maybe they want to do something else, right? You're, you're no longer allowed to make those decisions. You have to wait. And so there's a lot of other conversations that have to happen. And so a lot of IT people aren't including the rest of the business in that recovery strategy to make sure that everyone has and knows what those impacts are. Um, that's probably the biggest mistake I see people make. Okay. Yeah. And we, we call that a, a cybersecurity is a team sport or data protection is a team sport. So you have to make sure you bring in all of the appropriate teams, the security team, the backup team, you know, who the windows teams, whoever's running active directory and, and knows, you know, all the good stuff around, you know, bringing the forest back online, um, and, and all those different capabilities and, and even the business, right? They, they have to 
to be involved because you mentioned cyber insurance earlier. And that's something that I don't I don't have a lot of experience with cyber insurance, but I have continued to see different vendors. Yeah, different vendors out there offering guarantees. Oh yeah, we're gonna we'll give you a guarantee, we'll up to whatever millions of dollars uh if you know your system is is actually breached and you know our system can't bring you back up then we have you we give you some type of option have you seen seen that as well yeah oh yeah we have a lot of people well so we've never been compromised by ransomware we've never lost a customer due to ransomware um so we've never been in a situation where that kind of need was there but cyber insurance companies um that say we'll pay up to this much amount or whatever have lots and lots and lots of loopholes uh, so that they don't have to pay. Or if they have to pay, your premium is just going to skyrocket next year because they're going to get their money back and or they're going to cut you. They're going to pay you, but they're going to say you're no longer qualified for insurance and now you're going to have to go find a new provider. So both of those situations um, we've seen play out in, in practical terms with customers, you know, onboarding that are coming to us and they're like, yeah, this is what happened. We can't do that again. So. These are these are hurdles that people face for sure. Yeah. Also, with your expertise and what you have seen, who who is typically involved during and also after after the breach? Just so you could maybe help a gumbo listener out there to to figure out maybe they are in the beginning or planning phases to start to get serious about really protecting all of their their data and their critical assets. Well, if they're in the beginning phases. Like like we've talked about before, it's a team sport. They need to include the business units that would be impacted. Um, they need to include their cyber insurer if they have one. If they don't, they need to get one. And they need to test in a way that actually asks the questions, okay, now this has happened. Our options are A, B, and C. Which path do you want to take so that the decisions that the business units like the CEO have to make in those decisions, you know, PR needs to be involved, marketing needs to be, you know, all those, those guys need to be in the loop and, and practiced at making those decisions. Um, and then going down the road from there, if you have a disaster, the first call you should make is to your cyber insurer. Your second call in my recommendation and in most recommendations is the FBI or the CSA. They need to be involved. Many times they actually have ways to get your data back or get your money back. But if they're not involved, they, they can't help. And it's a big concern for public companies because it's now a recorded incident, right? The FBI has to report on this, but it's better to do that. Like I, I keep going back to you and we just saw it play out with Caesars and MGM. MGM didn't pay, but Caesars paid. SolarWinds is a great example. I mean, that that almost bankrupt that company. You know, if you if you're touting your company as a security company and you're the compromising agent, that hurts a lot. You know, when one pays and one doesn't, and everyone gave MGM a really hard time. Oh, you were down for so long. Well, Caesar's paid. Now, if I'm if I'm a ransomware person, who am I going to go after next? Am I going to go after MGM again? No, they don't pay. Am I going to go after Caesars again? Yep. I know I'm going to get a check at the end. You know, going to the FBI is an important step in this. And I would say do it every time. Yeah, I think I saw a new SEC regulation around disclosing material events and like some type of proxy statement or mentioning it to your 
investors, right? If if there, if something happens, you have to file and disclose the event. Yeah, there there are pieces to that, right? You have to disclose if customer information is impacted. Right. So if they have your social security number now or whatever, they have to disclose. It is most of the time. (laughs) Right. Or if it's if it's financial like liability. Right. So if they've done something where they were compromised and it's going to impact the investors, then they have to disclose. Um, There are certain situations where they don't, but that's a very small pocket uh, to the bigger deal. Now, does it matter if you have all of your applications, workloads, and your data, if it's on-prem or if it's in cloud, does any of that matter? Are you safe anywhere? (laughs) No. Um, Having it on-prem, you know, traditionally people will say, well, on-prem is less secure than cloud because the chances that you have a full security team and doing all the searching and looking for infiltration and doing are less than what they are in the cloud. And, and, in most cases, that's true. But if the cloud is compromised, which we've seen it happen over and over, right? Just running your server in the cloud doesn't mean the, that Amazon or, or Microsoft is doing anything extra. You're just running a server and having it being hosted there, basically. Um, so your security steps and your processes are still your own. Um, so leveraging that is just as important. And, and we've seen a lot of times where because of things like single sign-on, they got onto your account and now they have your whole Office 365. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I've, I've seen that a lot, right? Active Directory, if that's compromised and plus, you know, the whole IAM, uh, Identity Access Management System, if they, they're able to get that because I was reading somewhere that they did the social engineering uh, attack and they were able to act like one of the support engineers and they managed to get the password reset. And I think they had like godlike privileges, so they were able to really get in and control and just tear up and exfiltrate and just encrypt everything. Everything. And, and, and they elevate that access, right? Once they're in, they can get onto every machine, everything you do, and they're not going to let you know they're there until they're everywhere. So it's, it's, a, it's a painful process. It really is. And what are some of the key reasons that you can give Gumbo listeners to further modernize their data protection strategy. So it's not it's not that you you'll be able to really stop the cyber attackers. Maybe you can minimize it because the chances, right, there's no hundred percent that you will never be breached because there's there's too many variables, right? There's there's software, there's hardware, there's uh patching, there's I mean no no piece of code well, is, is perfect. Um the, the the weakest link in any company is the people. Simple things you can do you know, have have one of the new automated security pieces of software that are in your environment that are constantly looking, not for the old style, right? The old style antivirus looked for like certain files or certain indicators that a virus was there. The, these new breed look for the activity that's happening in your network. So they look for, hey, why is this sending data here? Why is this happening? And they'll shut those activities down. Those are very good software. They're not 100%, but they're very good at helping get that process going. And then ultimately, as you said, nothing is foolproof, right? Some guy's going to give admin passwords. He's going to click on a link. He's going to do something. It's going to happen. Constantly training those people, testing those people. Um, there's a lot of services being built right now that will help you do 
um, social engineering penetration test. So they'll call your support desk and try to be other people and try to get in. And you'll be surprised at how good they are. I mean, you learn a lot of information by going through someone's LinkedIn profile and, you know, getting to know who they are. And all of a sudden you have a lot of data that you can use to get the, hey, what's your mom's maiden name? And they, you know, you know, that kind of stuff, it, it, it links all together because social media. But, uh, but once that happens, you got to have a zero trust recovery solution in place. Um, that's not relying on your hardware. That's not relying on your network. That's not relying. I mean, we don't even trust DNS. Like that's how far you got to go, right? It, it sits on the same network. We're on the same wire, but it's got to be a solution where it's, it's zero trust so that when you have a disaster, you, you know that they didn't get to that data. And so that's, that's the last line of defense and they're targeting it because Veeam lives in your VMware ecosystem. They target Veeam now very easily. As soon as they get admin rights, they go right for VMware, right for Veeam, and delete the backups. And it happens over and over. And Veeam's like, you shouldn't have done this. Well, it's too late now. So having those kind of those strategies of zero trust for your backups, immutability, virtual air gap, or an air gap in place, these are critical pieces for sure. Yeah, and I've also heard that so... We're in a new paradigm, so things are moving really fast because artificial intelligence or generative AI is here, and you know quantum computing has been here a while. Even AI has been here for a while, but since OpenAI actually opened the gates uh, back, I think it was November of what twenty twenty one. Yeah, something like that. But two, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Together, it's just, but yeah. it's too much information moving fast. The whole Sam Altman debacle, you know, he was fired. He was brought back and Microsoft and Satya Nadella offered him a job. And then Brockman was on Twitter, excuse me, on X. See, <laughs> I can't even keep up with this. It's yep. just changing way too fast. And Elon Musk is telling people to go F themselves. And <laughs> I don't know if you're following all this stuff. It's like, oh, we're I living oh yeah, I watch it every day. We're living in a soap opera right now. And remember those movies like Transcendence? I don't know if you saw that. That's with Johnny Depp. Yep. Good example, actually. One of my favorites. Uh, also, Ready Player One, another big favorite. There is a, another one. I was just watching it. I can't even think of it right now. But what, what I'm getting at, and I'm mentioning this for a reason, is because a cyber, a cyber attack or, let's say, cyber recovery is different than disaster recovery because disaster recovery is kind of that old terminology when things were mostly on-prem. And then the cloud came along and made things a lot more fluid, right? So is there a difference from your perspective between, let's say, the term cyber recovery and disaster recovery? How would you how would you paint both of those two? definitions and uh, capabilities both of those things deal with one central concept which is trust okay i like right? it either you trust your data and your backups or you trust that the cloud is doing what it's supposed to be doing now the the problem is is trust is is the problem right you can't trust you can't trust that your backups are always good you got to have multiple copies you can't trust that the cloud is secure or always up and running you got to have something copy of your data outside of that cloud so that if that cloud is compromised, you have a copy that's retained. Now, whether that's bringing the copy back local, which would be 
the ultimate in irony, or it's to a separate cloud, right? AWS replicating to Azure, or Azure replicating to Quorum Cloud, or whatever it is, right? You you got to have a, a copy outside your cloud um, of that data that you can get to. Otherwise, it's going to be gone forever. And that, as much as we like to talk about how hard people work and and the you know this country is driven by how much we produce or whatever, what we produce now more than anything is data. It's information. That's what powers most companies. And that loss of information, that compromise of information um, in a cyber threat, right? It's the compromise that we're most concerned with has to be mitigated. And that's through security and through copies of that data in a secure environment separate from what you have in production. Okay. And maybe close us out with a final question. Since we are approaching the new year, do you have any predictions or are you seeing maybe some new technology or some things maybe that you would like to see implemented around, you know, AI and, and ML and or, or anything from that perspective, Gabe? Uh, what I would like to see is um, AI that can be deployed within a company. So right now, AI is very much cloud driven, very much um it can pull from the internet to tell you things. But what's going to really be valuable is once they've, for lack of a better word, containerized that so that I can run that within my network and scan all of my data, right? Whether it's unstructured data or structured data or whatever, and can then generate information based on that, that's going to be the next iterative step. And I think the closest people to that right now is probably Watson X. I think they're really approaching that um, to say, hey, we can put this in your environment, understand all of the data that you have and be able to provide you insight to that. That is um, an AI driven, what I would call unstructured insight. A lot of things that, drive, that do insight right now is based on structured things. Well, I can count you have this many of this or this many of this, so it means that. But the unstructured look at your data, where they're using that AI engine to to anticipate what it thinks would be the right path, will be the next step. I think iteratively, that's the, the next thing I see. I've, I've never thought of that. So that's uh, very insightful. And uh, is any I also like to get book recommendations. Are you reading anything that's, that's interesting for for us on, on the gumbo here? Uh, I'll tell you, it's an old book, but I'll tell you, it's one of my favorites that really talks about the evolution of cryptography. And it's called The Cryptonomicon. It is a great book. It, it's based on uh, three different timelines. And it talks about um, basically cracking codes and how they how encryption was born and, and um uh, cryptography was born. And it, it's a fascinating read because it gives you a lot of insight to how these people think um, as you go forward. So it's it's a fiction book, but um, very in-depth. You got to you gotta put some hours into it, but it's a good book. I'll, I'll be sure to to Google it as soon as we, we sign off here. And uh, I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your day to give us some some insight here and some best practices and recommendations around protecting uh, what's near and dear to everyone's heart and they don't even know it is is your data right I mean we it's like um, you, you can't live with it and you can't live without it because if you live with it there's too much of it that's right right <laughs> it's everywhere you don't know where it is 
with all these different uh, types of devices and smart, smart this, smart that, IoT and edge and cloud, and we can go on and on and on about it. And so before I let you go, I want to let uh, everyone know about the uh, Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group that I run. There's about 25,000 plus uh, cybersecurity, data protection, backup and recovery professionals there. Uh, it's a great community that have conversations very similar to the one that we are having here. So um, please go check that out. And also be sure to give us a, uh, a good review uh, if you really <laughs> like the podcast. Um, on, you know, if it's a bad review, you know, I'm okay with that too, because any review for me is, is a, as long as it's truthful, because my first review was, was actually not truthful and it ended up coming back to bite the guy who did it in the butt. <laughs> so I love how karma works. It's, it's <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, uh, Gabe, thank you so much for, uh, for being a guest and, uh, any, any final, final, um, closing words here and definitely protect your data and definitely include your company in your data protection plan um and check out quorum all right well fantastic thank you for being a guest here on on data protection gumbo so we'll we'll see you next time on the next episode of data protection gumbo